We'll pray and see what the Lord wants to do, but we'll try to endeavor for Gideon. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for Gideon. We thank you for these couples. Father, we thank you that we can come to church and be trained up in the word of righteousness. Father, when so many folks are diminishing the word of God and turning their faith away from Jesus Christ, Lord, we are clinging tighter and tighter more than ever before. Father, we are not of those that are counting Christianity as some subculture that is falling away, but this is our life, this is our truth. Father, this is our all in all. We thank you that we can come to Sunday school and be encouraged in the things of God. Father, help me as the pastor and the minister now to teach this and whatever you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got page six, Let us endeavor to pick up at the bottom section, Gideon's present, a season of serving. We've been teaching on Gideon as a blueprint for ministry. And uh, one of the things I cannot emphasize enough, and perhaps one of the statements I have received more comments on is folks realizing, hey, I may not be called to, to be an apostle, but I have a ministry. Raising my children is a ministry. Uh, Working my job is a ministry. Uh, Dr. Barclay calls them uh, marketplace ministers. You're, you're, out in the, you're out in Lowe's. You're out doing dental work. You're out uh, doing contractor work. That's a ministry there. Now, you're not going to live by the ministry in that regard. You, they're not going to give you an offering, but, you know, I'm sure that's happened before. You get somebody saved out in public and they just give you 50 bucks. You're not going to live that way all of your life. That might be every once in a while. But everybody's called to, to be a servant, and that's what ministry means. So when we look at Gideon, don't just think, well, I'm never going to be a missionary or be a Billy Graham or an Oral Roberts. you got to look at what is your ministry. A mama is a tremendous ministry. A dad, that is a tremendous ministry. Grandpa, tremendous ministry. And so look at it in that regard. That way everybody has something to shoot for. One of our mothers came and she said, you know what, Pastor? I realize that I've got to raise my kids and I've got to be faithful over that ministry. And I've got to take care of my man. That's another ministry. She said, I don't know how I missed all this before. And who knows? We, we always end up, when you see what you've been missing, you slap yourself and say, how did I miss that? that? That was in front of me the whole time. But that's why we have to continually walk with Jesus so we can see what we're missing. One of the things we pray from time to time in our Tuesday morning staff meetings is, Lord, help us to see what we can't see. Help us. I say this a lot. Lord, help me see what I'm not seeing. Because if you don't bring it to my attention, I won't see it. And if you don't show me what I'm not seeing, I can't, I can't do it. And one of the other things that's a faithful saying is that a lot of us, we miss it all the time. But we don't miss it on purpose. We take, many of us, we take the wrong turn frequently. Well, we don't take it on purpose. I think all of us here, we have a a heart for God. And when we take a wrong turn, we take a wrong turn with all of our heart, believing it's what God wanted us to do. I don't think anybody in here is of the mindset that says that's the wrong turn. God's saying, do not enter. And I just went, huh, I will anyway. I don't think anybody in this in this room right now lives that way. So God's merciful to pick up our pieces and help us to see what we're not seeing. So let's look at this. Gideon's present, a season of serving. Gideon's present to the angel was his way of proving the calling he had just received. His present to the angel represents Christian service and servitude. And we'll explain that here in a minute. Every calling in Christ is rooted in servitude. This is a kingdom of servants. We're not a kingdom of kings, though I know the revelation does say he's made us to be priests and kings unto our God. But we are a kingdom of servants. Jesus Christ said that many times. I was, I was reading Matthew late last night, actually early this morning. 
And <laughs> I, I, it's one of those things I just, I've never seen it before, but that's why you always read the Bible. And there Jesus says about Matthew 23, he says, the son of man, he said, now I must go up and the son of man must be delivered into the hands of the chief priests and the Pharisees. And he will be beaten and turned over to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged and he will be crucified. And that's what he's telling his disciples. And it says, and then came the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, and says, can my two boys be your right and left man? And you think, woman, what are you thinking? He just talked about we're marching to my death and you're worried about left and right hand. He just said, he's already come through Hosanna to God in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, Palm Sunday. That's what just happened. And as they come through it and everything settles down, he pulls his 12 disciples aside or his disciples aside and there's their mama. And he says, I'm about to die. A week from now, I'll be dead. Scourged, crucified, beaten, mocked. And all they can think in their head is, what's my position? What's my position? And Jesus, bless his heart. I don't know if we should say bless his heart, but you know what? He, like he told him, how long must I be with you? He says, it's not mine to give. And you don't know what you're asking. And he said, this kingdom to be great, you must be servant of all. And he that will be the greatest will be least of all. And that's how he, he kind of transitioned from I'm going to be crucified to you guys still don't get it. And perhaps even today he's telling us you guys still don't get it. Here he's been crucified for us and we're still called to be servants. Probably in Sunday morning service this morning, I'll deal more with laboring in the kingdom and how all of us are called to do something. And we're all called to be servants. And so we don't have a right to sit on our hands. We'll deal with that in Sunday morning. So every Christian, uh, every, uh, every calling in Christ is rooted in servitude. Now, we don't have any what I would call senior citizens in here, really. But one of the things you guys know I'm strong on is that you don't have a right to retire in Christ. I was uh, talking with a, a couple this week and they said... Um, they said, Pastor, how does, how does a married man with children keep his service record in the house of God up with a single man who has no kids? How do, how do, you, how do you, you know, balance that equation? And I said, well, it's real simple. It's what 1 Corinthians says. It's not according to what a man doesn't have, but according to what he does have. Just like you can't say, how can a widow give as much as a millionaire? Well, we're comparing apples with oranges here. The widow gives out of what she has, just like the father with nine kids and two careers gives out of what he has. He has to take care of his wife. He has to take care of his children, but he still has to give time to God. And so he might have to put his kids to bed at nine o'clock at night, kiss his wife at 10, then come up to the house of God and clean toilets for 30 minutes or an hour. And that's counted to, unto him as it is the man that's a single man that can give 20 hours a week to God in the house. Everything. Nobody's without excuse. And the thing that irks me is to watch senior citizens. You know they're retired. They're not working, but they're pulling in an income, either a pension or a 401k. And they seem to do the least amount in the house of God and the least amount for the kingdom. Now, maybe they're at home praying five hours a day, but I doubt it. Really, do you think you know any senior citizens that pray five hours a day for the local church? Do you know anybody like Pastor Ingolf's testimony, that old blind and deaf man who prayed eight hours a day for Pastor Ingolf? Now, no matter where you get, the point is no matter where you get in Christ, this is still a calling of servitude. And the older you get and you get into retirement years, I believe God's going to require more of you. Maybe not swinging a hammer, maybe not vacuuming the church, but you're going to be doing more.
You're going to be praying for folks more, maybe writing cards, maybe baking brownies. That's a ministry. Uh, I, I know one lady, uh, I can't remember who told me this. In the Baptist church, she was older. She was in her late 60s, early 70s. She got tired of looking at the old ladies not doing anything. She said, you bunch of old ladies, we're going to start knitting Afghans for ladies in the nursing home. She made all the old biddies get to work for the kingdom. We're going to go, we're not dead yet. We're going to go be a blessing to those older than us. Every, no matter where you get in the kingdom, there's something for you to do. And maybe we've just thought every ministry position had to wear a suit and wear a microphone. And that's ridiculous. But every part of the body is needful. The pinky toenail does something. Even, I think, the hairs in your ear do something. I'm not sure. And I, I'm, I found an odd shoulder hair the other day. And I'm like, what are you doing? Everybody has something to do. No matter what your calling is, it's rooted in servitude. And folks need to get after it. If you cannot serve, you cannot lead. So look at Judges 6, 19 and 20. So we're going to look at uh, his present represents a season of serving. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid. Let me pause and think about that. Even Miss Lola, she's our most senior elder in the church. And I, I think she still passes out tracks. I know she did when I first took over pastoring. In fact, I'm going through all the old church photos right now. There's one of her about 15 years ago. She looks the same. She's just always been that old, I think. And uh, Miss Teresa, does she still go to the nursing home? Do you know to sing? She's not able to. But even in the five years I've pastored, she was going to the nursing home. So into her late 80s, going to the nursing home to sing to people younger than her. Amen. And then hangs up on them. <laughs> Praise God for people like that. I know about a couple years ago, she almost got arrested at tech for passing out tracks and putting them on windshields. That's a stupid tech vice who's going to arrest an old woman passing out gospel. You just cursed your soul, sir. Go eat a donut or something. Leave this woman alone. But see, even she understands. And she wonders why God won't take her home. She's too busy working. You want to tell the secret is do nothing and God will bring you home quicker. The secret to living longer is get busy for Jesus. Back to Judges 6. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid that not as like a goat, you know, not like a child. <laughs> I think they're called kids, though, because when you hear a goat squeal, it sounds like a kid screaming. And unleavened cakes of an ephah, 22 pounds of flour. The flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought it in, uh, unto him. Uh, under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth that he did so. And so I'm teaching this, that this offering represents a season of serving that proves you're called. And if you're really called and everybody is in the kingdom, you prove it by serving. There's something broken in us if we're not wanting to do something in the kingdom. You can see it in little children. God put it in children to help. God put it in mankind to help. Little children want to help. My little girl is now 15 months. She cleans up after herself. She, she knows where things go. When she's done playing with her vacuum, she sets it upright. It's a trip. She sets it upright and sets it in any closest corner because that's how we store it, is in any close corner. She knows where her little bags go. We sing the cleanup song that my wife made up. So all we have to say is clean up, and she starts singing it in her gibberish way and starts picking up stuff and throwing it in the boxes. God, if it's in a 15-month-old, to help. 
She's not even born again. She's alive unto God. But she's not even born again yet because she doesn't need to be. If it's in her to help, it's in all of us to do something. And so we just kind of say, all right, let me just be who I'm called to be. Let me be what I am. Everybody wants to be me nowadays. I was born this way, you know. Well, be born again a different way and help in the kingdom. Gideon demonstrated he was a servant by preparing this offering. Much can be learned from this passage. So his offering, here's what we're going to learn from this passage. His offering represents a season of servitude. Now, I would teach this for ministers in that, honestly, as a full-time minister, you're always serving. But you qualified it by serving and serving and serving. And about the only thing you do different when you're a full-time preacher is you stand in front of the people two or three times a week. Then everything else still goes on behind the scenes that you were doing for 15 and 20 years. The only difference is, is you've earned the right to talk. That's the only difference. You've proven this gospel in private. And when God sees fit, he puts you in front of people so you can talk about what you did for 20 years. But if you, have no, if you didn't do anything for 20 years, you have nothing to talk about. Amen. Amen. All right. I don't know if you like that or not, but it's the truth. Every leader must expect to be proven by God in a lengthy ser- uh, season of servitude. Leadership begins with followship. So part of proving your calling includes an intense season of being a servant, because really in the end, you're always going to be a servant. Jesus Christ said the night he was betrayed at the, in the upper room at the, at the Lord's Supper, he said, I came to serve. And we know he took off his garment and he girded himself about with a towel and he washed their feet. He says, do you understand what I've done? And they lied and said, yeah, again, but they really didn't. And he was, he was demonstrating, he laid off his deity and took upon him the robe of a servant and he served us and became obedient even unto the death of the cross. And that's what we have to. Part of Christian servitude makes us obedient. And when you start serving, that's your cross. I'm so glad we don't have to bear a literal cross like the early church did. They were crucifying, Nero's crucifying up and down the roads. You can go and study history and you'll find that, that along the roads in and out of Rome were crucified Christians. And then if they weren't being crucified, they were being eaten in the Colosseums. And if they weren't being eaten in the Colosseums, they were being wrapped in oil rags and set on fire in Nero's court, used as human torches while Nero and his perverts had orgies. Thank God we don't have to worry about that. But if we could serve a little bit more, it would crucify our flesh. (laughs) They were happy to be a living sacrifice, literally. They were happy to be the light of the world, literally. We just have to show up and serve a little bit more, serve our wife a little bit more, serve our kids a little bit more. That's all he's asking of us, thank God. I don't believe we're going to see martyrdom in these last days. I believe we're going to push back pretty hard and thump the world and they'll be happy to see us go. Gideon's offering took many hours to prepare. How long does it take to butcher a goat and cook it? That's what he did for this angel. He went and got the goat. He butchered it. Then you got to gut it. Then you got to skin it. Then you got to chop it up. I don't know. I would say it takes... A long time, I'd ask Mark Crete, well, he's probably the most technical butcher in here. He butchers deers all season long. And it's a couple hours to debone a deer. Now, a goat's a little bit smaller, unless it's a big goat. But this is a kid of the goat, so it's a small thing. But I would still say probably two hours, maybe three hours. The whole time the angel's waiting. 
And on top of that, because that's an intense process you do all by yourself, he goes and he cooks 22 pounds of flour. So how long does it take to make 22 pounds of flour into little biscuits? Now the bags at Walmart are eight pounds. So basically you have three of those and you make, you make biscuits till it's gone. So maybe you throw in a batch and you go debone. And then you come back and you pull that batch out and you throw another batch in. I don't know. You see how long this took. It's not like it was a microwavable meal. Kosher offering, two minutes on defrost. <laughs> this time of his proving, uh, of proving his calling was very costly to Gideon. Judges 6, 4 and 6 indicate how poor Israel was during this time. And Gideon's gift was very valuable. He spared, he spared no expense to prove his calling. And that might represent selling everything you have to go to Bible school. It might represent selling all you know to go serve in a church you're called to. It's a sacrifice. And that's what this was, was literally a sacrifice. And we know that serving God's going to be a sacrifice. In this day and age that we live in, the world wants our time. You got to start sacrificing the world. I don't, something odd about America, we don't have demon possession like they do overseas, but it's almost because the devil doesn't need to possess folks in America. We're just numb. We're just media zombies. Even the, I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about heathen. The church is media zombified. We're just numb. And, and we think we're doing God a service because we come into church for an hour and a half. And then we zombify back out to be soaked and marinated in the world and, and don't expect us to serve to where it costs us. But we see with Gideon, his offering, the Bible says there was no flour in the land. The Bible says there was no uh, livestock in the land, and yet Gideon had it. He had it to give. It, it represents a season of very costly servitude. And this gospel should cost you something. You ought to be sacrificing something. And I, I really am preaching to the choir this morning, but I have nothing else to preach. And there, I can't make this stretch and say something else unless the Spirit of God helps me. But that's what this is saying. It should cost you. And when it's important to you, you'll happily pay the price. When, when I got engaged to Miss Amanda, I knew exactly what kind of ring I wanted. I didn't have the money for it. I was going to happily go in debt for that ring. We got married. I was still paying for the ring. In fact, I think it was her car accident and the, the insurance settlement that paid off the ring. Happily paid it, uh, went into debt for it. Happily sacrificed for it because it's worth it. And when you're in love with something, you, the sacrifice is but a day. Like Jacob and Laban. He served seven more years and it was but a day. Sacrifice seven years for a woman he loved and it was but a day. Whole time he's got to look at the ugly one. <laughs> seven more, three more years I get the pretty one. Three more, two more years I get the pretty one. And he got to go home to the ugly one every night. And it was but a day. Hopefully you're willing to make the sacrifices necessary. He spared no expense to prove his calling. Your season of proving your calling will cost you greatly as well. If it does not cost you anything, you may not be ready for the calling. Any mama knows being a mama is a sacrifice, especially in our society where society tells you you're good for nothing unless you have two college degrees. One of them is an MBA. You're working your way up the corporate ladder. And if you have time, squirt some kids out along the way. But if you don't, that's okay. Because anything he can do, I can do better. Anything he can do, I can do good. And that's been our motto since that stupid song was written in probably the 30s. 
Any mama who's going to be a good mama knows this calling is going to cost you. But in the end, those Fortune 500 CEO women, they'll have nothing in their retirement years. Children are awesome because you raise them up, you send them out, and in your old age, they come back to you. And they bring you children that are called grandchildren. And it changes your life. That's worth the sacrifice. Who cares about money? All these folks that have no kids, they're going to be old and dead and no legacy. Money doesn't go to heaven with you, but kids can. Gideon was commanded to pour out the broth. This was a libation offering, an offering that represents the fruit, uh, fruits of the worshiper's labor. We would ask, do you have anything that proves you have labored for God? A libation offering, uh, the, the, whatever, the, the broth or the wine or the juice, that proved you had been working to prepare an offering. So you come and present the offering and there's still a residue left over. And then you pour that out too. A total consecration to God. But do you have anything that proves you've been laboring for God? Do you have a legacy? Children are a great legacy, laboring for God. Being a mom and a dad, that's a great labor and a legacy for God. I can't think of anything more honorable than your kids serve God with you. One of the things my wife and I pray over Lydia every night is that she grows up to serve us in the ministry. We pray for her husband too. He's not just a Christian. I'm not interested in my son-in-law being a Christian. He's a man of God. How many Christians do you know that aren't men of God? My girl ain't marrying a Christian. She's marrying a holy man of God. And he is mine too. <laughs> he will serve me in the ministry because I declare it so. Just last night, I was uh, at Walmart picking up some coffee creamer and I ran into uh, uh, some friends that go to church, spirit-filled church, and I was asking about their daughters, and uh, they, we were talking, I was showing them Lydia, and, um, and I said, well, so does, your, does the oldest one, has she got a boyfriend? And they said, well, as a matter of fact, she does, and I was just, you know, making small talk, nothing prophetic or anything, and I said, well, well does, he go to, does he go to your church? N- no, he's, he's, uh, he's from Kentucky. Well, how'd they meet? On the internet. And he's been down and spent some days with us. Well, does he go to church? We don't know, but he's a good guy. And these spirit-filled Christians, all they kept saying was, he's a good guy, which is kind of code for he's not a Christian. He's not spirit-filled. We don't know much about his religious upbringing. He seems to be a good guy. Of course, dad's still fired up. He's like, "Ah." I said, I don't blame you, man. I can't imagine. I, I, I can't, I can't imagine And I don't want to say they failed with their daughter, but that's got to break their heart constantly. And and what I I see that now, I don't judge them or put them down. I think it's very stupid for that girl to go find some guy on the Internet. But it, it causes me to tweak how I raise my kids and how I teach in this church, because I don't want any of you to have to hang your head and kind of him haul around and, you know, kick the dirt. Well, you know, he's a good guy. He helped me cut down a tree. She met him on the internet. They seem to really like each other. You know, he's a good guy. No, my daughter ain't marrying a good guy. And she ain't marrying a Christian. She's marrying a holy man of God. What more noble cause or ministry than to raise your children to have the same standard you do. That's ministry too. It isn't just preaching. It isn't just prophesying. It isn't crisscrossing the globe, having healing crusades. It's investing everything you got in the kids you have and also living it out in front of them. There's a reason why preacher's kids are notoriously the worst. And I have to believe it, that it's because 
You can preach one thing in the pulpit and live something else at home. The preacher's kids that are awesome, I know their dads. And their dads are the real deal at home. In fact, a bulk of what they do is at home and church is just icing on the cake. But when you try to shove church down a kid's throat as if, as if this is the main meal, it's never going to work. You have to live it around them 24-7. And every parent in here, and now we have grandparents in here, uh, you have to live it around them 24-7. That's what we've been teaching on Sunday mornings. Doctrine is not what you say. Doctrine is how you live. Doctrine is not what you think. Doctrine is how you live. And that's part of ministry. I don't know how we got off on that, but that would be the Lord uh, taking this and bending it. Do you have anything that proves you have labored for God? We're not talking about good works. You know, we, 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 we proved in this sanctuary we can labor for God. Great. But except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Sure, you can work in the local church, but is it evident in your children that you didn't just work in the local church, but you lived for the Lord Jesus? That's, that's a libation. That's proof of your labor. Except the Lord build it, it's in vain. Otherwise, like Pastor Vaughn said, potato salad is just potato salad. You can come to church 20 hours a week, but unless, it's the, unless there's a heart behind it, unless there's reality behind it, it's just a facade. And kids see through that. Furthermore, your kids are marinated in you at home. So if you want to know why your kids are the way they are, they are marinated in what you are. Now, you may be trying to come out of what you are, but it's still there. I have no doubt looking at my little girl. She is all me and she is all my wife. She's sweet like my wife and she gets into all sorts of stuff like me. She's fearless like me and yet she's obedient like my wife. She's, she's us. And the other scary thing is the stupid that's in us, it's already being sown into her. So the other thing we pray over our little girls, Lord, don't let any of our dumb end up in her. Father, we don't want to put anything in her. You're going to have to take out of her when she starts walking with you for herself. We cannot escape this. All we can do is say, Lord, help us. Show us this. That's a libation offering. Proof. All right. Gideon took this time to humble himself and serve someone mightier than him to prove his calling. And that's what his offering did. He, he was over apparently a big, a big vineyard or, or field if he had some wheat to thresh. And he's able to humble himself and submit to a total stranger. And we've got to ask ourselves, are we able to submit to a total stranger? Are we able to, you know, help somebody? Because nowadays we're so arrogant, not us, but the world. We don't want to be told what to do. Everybody has their own opinion. Twitter's made everybody famous. Uh, the blogosphere has made everybody's opinion worthwhile. And uh, it just shouldn't be so. I think just because you have a mouth, we shouldn't hear it. You should qualify to be heard from. But, you know, the Internet makes everybody a voice. So let's look at this. The Lord accepts Gideon's offering. I want to touch more on children and maybe just bring some reality into stuff. Uh, we'll see if I can do that in this next part. I guess we're using this to teach on family. Only God could take Gideon, written for ministers and leaders in Uganda, and deal with us about marriages and children. Gideon prepared his offering in order to, pr uh, to prove his calling. He wanted to know if the Lord would really accept him by accepting his offering. Don't forget this, that Cain was rejected because of his offering. So offerings are very critical. Just because you offer something doesn't mean God accepts it. 
Just because you offer something doesn't mean God's going to accept it. Cain gave an offering, God rejected it. And we know from Genesis 4, if God rejects your offering, he rejects you. Because the thing that makes the offering acceptable is your heart. He told, he told Cain, he said, if you do well, will you, will you not also be accepted? So we have to evaluate things. It's not just what we're doing. That becomes works. Pastor Vaughn labored in this church for 20-something years teaching us it's not about works. But works are necessary. We cannot stand on our works and say, well, I did this. Well, I did that. Well, I show up on time. Well, I gave a $100 offering. Well, I worked with the youth. But was it accepted? You can give 100 bucks, but if it isn't with the right heart, it's not going to do anything for you. We'll take the money and put television on and we'll buy light bulbs and vacuum cleaners and it'll bless us, but it doesn't bless you. Well, I did this. Well, I did that. And so you have to evaluate the heart. God told Gideon, I accept you. And Gideon said, if that's true, then let me give you an offering. See if you'll accept it. He was actually working the Levitical law backwards because he recognized that what the angel was doing was out of it was backwards in the Levitical order. And we don't have time to cover that. The angel shows up and says, you have grace. Grace was the last thing you got under the Levitical priesthood after you did all the sacrifices. The angel shows up and says, you have grace. And Gideon says, I haven't given an offering yet. How can I have grace? So he's going to prove them. And that's what he's doing here. Judges 6, 21. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock, consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So it was a supernatural thing. He did, in fact, accept this offering. Gideon's offering is supernaturally accepted. This was the confirmation Gideon was looking for. Your offering will be Christian servitude. Now we ask, will God accept your service? That's your offering. We don't sacrifice goats today. We don't sacrifice turtle doves or heifers or whatever they had. We, we give of our own time. We are the living sacrifice. And so the question is, will the Lord accept your sacrifice? It's all about the heart. We understand that. You're here, but your attitude's not welcome. You're welcome, but your attitude is not. I showed up. I helped paint. You were not a blessing. Yeah, you rolled some paint on the wall, but it was not a blessing. You'd just be better off going home. I've taught that when we repainted the sanctuary, we had Mr. Allen was over the painting crew because he's really particular. And uh, they had done some things messy. And, and Allen asked me, is this acceptable? And I said, no. He said, I didn't think so. So he goes back to his paint team and he says, this is not acceptable. We need to redo it. And somebody complained and says, what is he expecting? We're just volunteers. And so then Alan brings that back to me. I said, send him home. I don't need that. I don't want that on my walls. God certainly doesn't want that in his temple. Send them home. Tell them we don't need them if they can't get their heart right. They were doing the work. But what's he expecting? Perfection? We're just volunteers. If that's how you view yourself, you need to tweak your thinker because you're not volunteers. Show me the word volunteer in the Bible as far as what you're called to be. Now, there might be a verse that says, and they volunteered, but that might be more like the New American Standard or the NIV, a modern translation. We don't volunteer. We're bond servants. He owns us. So whatever he asks us to do, we just make our heart right in doing it because we don't have a choice. All right. 
guys are awfully quiet. I wish this could teach better or maybe, you know, more Gideon-ish. Uh, but honestly, I could throw it down and just find something else to say, and it would still come out the same. But I don't know. I thought I'd come back and teach this to us. Your offering will be Christian servitude. Will God accept your service? Here are ways you can ensure that our offering will be accepted. Make yourself servant to all. Serve joyfully as unto the Lord, not as a man pleaser. Serve with all of your might. Endure hardship like a good soldier for Christ. Learn to be faithful with delegated authority. And then we say, witness the fire of God in your life as the confirmation that God's hand is upon you. That's one thing we can focus on for a second. You can have two people painting the walls of the sanctuary. And because of their heart, the power of God be upon one and the stiff arm of God upon the other. That is why it's possible to be in a church and serve for 20 years and never go anywhere. Because you thought serving was just about work. You thought serving was just about cleaning. You thought serving was just about straightening up chairs. You thought serving was just about doing something that needed to be done. And if I don't do it, I'll look bad, so let me do it. But that's not what it's about. It's about the heart. It's not according to what you do have, but what you don't have. Then is it accepted? And so it's not about, you know, doing a hundred things around here. It's about doing the one thing you do around here with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It would be better that you did one thing for the kingdom with, with perfection in all of your heart than to do 20 things around here mediocre with a lousy attitude. Now, I'm reminded that the day I was asked to be pastor of this church, I was really only doing one thing around here, and that was sound. I was maybe opening and closing a little bit, but we didn't have an official kind of schedule back then. It was, it was when Pastor Vaughn had died, it was kind of up in the air. Everything was hectic and chaotic. The only thing I was faithfully doing around here, that in evangelism, my duty was sound. And the only reason I was in the sound booth is because I saw that Pastor Vaughn was having trouble the sound guys were kind of doing their thing. And I realized that if, if Mr. Chip is out, nobody can run it. And it's not right to put all your eggs in one basket. He might need a vacation. And I realized there's a need. Let me take care of a need. And I don't like doing sound, but I can learn. Did it a little bit for Pastor Trey so I can do something. And that, that was the only thing I was really doing here. And yet, for whatever reason, I became pastor. I, I wasn't doing a hundred things. So it's not about you know, thinking, well, I'm doing a hundred things or it's what you are doing, you do with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength. When you look at Cain's offering, Cain's offering was actually a lot harder an offering than Abel's. Cain had to give a lot more attention to his garden than Abel had to give to his sheep. Sheep, you just walk with and keep them out of trouble. A garden, you plant, you till, you cultivate, you irrigate, you water, you pick the worms off of it, you keep the birds away from it. It's constant work. And then you have to do that for months. And then you got to go out and harvest it and pick it and clean it. When I look at Cain's offering, I think it's a lot more extreme, a lot more grandiose an offering than a little lamb. He put so much more into it. And maybe that was his undoing because he was bitter the whole time. And we know from the original Hebrew language, God says, if you had done this joyfully, 
you would be accepted. He said, but behold, when you do things not joyfully, sin lies at the door. And his desire is for you. And you must master him. So it's not about doing 105 things in a church. It's not about hanging yourself with your own time clock to try to be up here all the time. It's about doing what you do with all of your heart and being the best at it and saying, nobody's going to vacuum better than me. Nobody's going to be a better husband than me to my wife. Nobody's going to be a better father than me to my kids. Whatever your ministry is, that's what we're talking about. It's doing what you do with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, even if it can only be one thing. Like Miss Teresa just said, uh, Miss Lola, she can't do much for the kingdom. But anytime that phone rings, apparently, she gives them her heart, mind, soul, and strength and then hangs up on them. So it's not about what you're doing, but the heart you're doing it with. And so some of you know the situation in the sound booth right when Pastor Vaughn died. Two men back there working, doing the same job, pushing buttons, knobs, slides, all that, controlling sound. And I apparently was set on fire to be pastor and the other apparently extinguished and left doing the same job. And so to look at it as an outsider coming in, those men are equal. But when you do what you are given to do with all of your heart, it will set you on fire. The Lord will touch you with his staff and ignite you supernaturally and you will be accepted of God. I think it's a pretty good allegory there. Hadn't seen that till just now. So that's what we shoot for. Gideon acknowledges the calling. When Gideon realized the severity of the Lord's calling on his life, like being a mom or being a dad, there's always a calling. And that God himself was speaking with him, he became very frightened. And I would, uh, I would say we ought to become very frightened. It ought to... It ought to make us nervous to realize God's expecting things out of us. He's depending on us. And you don't want to let them down. I, I was listening to Pastor Tim CD when he taught here a couple weeks ago, and he quoted A.W. Tozer. And he said that the mystery of God, the mystery of faith, is that you're afraid of God. The severity and the sovereignty of God scares you, but his love for you makes you unafraid. That's a pretty good oxymoron that is the relationship with God. You know who he is and it terrifies you. But you know who he is and so you're not afraid. And when you realize God's expecting things out of you, he's invested in you, it should terrify you. But because you know he'll help you and strengthen you, you have confidence that you'll not fail him. Amen. We too should have a healthy amount of fear for the calling of God. Judges 6, 23 and 24. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto you. Fear not, you will not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day is in Ophrah of the Abizarites. What we can learn, we can learn several things from Gideon's altar. By building an altar to Jehovah God, Gideon was declaring his allegiance to serving him. That's what those altars in the Bible represented. That's where God met them and they met God and it was forever memorial. Building an altar in Gideon's day would be the equivalent of dedicating your entire life to God. This type of Old Testament altar was a monument erected at the time and place where the individual gave their heart to God. Now, if we did this today, there'd be altars all over the place where we took our heart back from God. 
because Christians are really good at it right now. It might look like a, uh, a battleship board with just little pegs everywhere when you look over the horizon of America because folks are taking the heart back from God everywhere and they're not serving Him like they did when they first gave their heart to God. This thing became holy ground to them. And even though this is just a natural thing, it, it, was, it was meaningful to Gideon. Abraham did it. Isaac did it. Jacob did it. They would even dig wells when God would show up. And that became a well of their meeting. I, I'm very, the place where I gave my heart to Jesus Christ is holy ground to me, as odd as that might sound to you. And like two years ago, we got to go and I took my wife and Miss Patty Closter to the, the camp where I got saved and I was able to go visit and I, I pulled in, I said, hi, my name's Chris, and I got saved here 27 years ago. Can I go look at the pavilion and sit where I got saved? And the girl said, sure. I said, thanks. And so I went, and as soon as I saw the pavilion, I started getting emotional. And so I told my wife and Miss Patty, I said, you guys need to go away. Just leave me alone and I come back in about 15 minutes. And I was able to find the seat that I sat in because the benches are still there. Because I had a vision when I was 19. I asked the Lord to show me where I got born again. Show me my born again experience. And he showed me the pavilion and, and there it was. And I sat in the, as best as I could figure from the vision because the vision was when I was 19. So that was like 17 years ago. And I sat there. And as soon as I sat down in that bench, man, I just started sobbing. I'm getting emotional right now. And crying. And uh, it's probably been, I, I cannot say I've ever been more thankful to be saved. Just to sit there I'm trying to get out of my emotions. <laughs> Just to sit there and realize I've been born again. And that's what Gideon did. He built an altar there. said, Shalom. God is with me. And when you start to go back and remember those, those times and you remember those things, it'll put a fight in you. How could you ever betray this God that gave you Shalom, that gave you peace? How could you ever backslide when you remember when you got born again, where you gave your heart to Him, where you rededicated to Him? You start, that, that's what those memorials were for. They'd go back and look at it and say, and I'm sure the emotions would flood over them and say, wow, this is where the, the angel showed up to me. And maybe, we don't know, but maybe Gideon always came back there every year for some encouragement. And he remembered that the tree of Theophany where the angel appeared to him, where his offering was supernaturally accepted, where God said, fear not. And we ought to have those in our life. That's why the Bible says, put yourself in remembrance of the former days. If you'll, if you'll live a life doing that, you'll never backslide. All I got to do is just start thinking about that bench and where I gave my heart to Jesus, where God Almighty spoke to me as a seven-year-old and said, you need me. And all of a sudden, all that other junk just washes away. I have determined if they ever tear it down, I'm going to go there. I'm going to cut. I'm going to get a, a, a concrete saw. I'm going to cut the ground out, the concrete. I'm going to cut that bench. I'm going to put it somewhere. I don't know where I'm going to put it, but I want it because it's, it's holy to me. It's where God changed me. And if you can live a life there, you'll never backslide. How can you with those emotions constantly washing you, that, that holy thankfulness constantly? You'll never feel sorry for yourself. You'll never back off because you'll always have that reminding of the born again experience. This altar represents Gideon answering the call of God on his life. Gideon called the altar Jehovah Shalom, which literally means the Lord send peace. And obeying God, Gideon found peace in time of turmoil. And I would add this, the only place we can perfect, we can find perfect peace is in the center of God's perfect will for our lives. Aren't you miserable when you're backslid? 
There is, is nothing more disgusting than when you're out of the will of God and you know it. You feel so empty inside, you're hollow, you're miserable, and you blame and growl at everybody but yourself. You ought to be the one you're whipping because you're the one that's to blame. And the only way you'll ever find perfect total peace is in the perfect center of God's will for your life. And once you find what that is, you fight with all of your might to stay there and never back off, ever. You stay in the center of that thing. Don't run from God. Embrace the call of God and receive the peace of God. If working alone got you peace, man, just work. If you got to jump in somewhere, just jump in and God will give you peace. He'll put that grace back on you. And then along the way, you get your heart right. I don't have time to cover the, old, the thing, three main Old Testament offerings. That kind of corresponds with that. You can look at that at your own time. But we have officially made it through lesson two. This is week four. <laughs> Father, I thank you for blessing our time here. I thank you for the blueprint that is Gideon. Father, we thank you for his example and role model in our life. Father, bless these folks. May they always work to find out what that next calling is you have for them as they segue and transition from one stage of life into another. And for those here that are called to be ministers of the gospel full time, Father, may they qualify through your word and your will. In Jesus' name, amen.